We're continuing in our series in Philippians, and today we find ourselves in chapter 3 with a sermon entitled, I Count Everything as Loss. And so I'm sure you can anticipate where this is going. I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And as we continue in our uh, series, I hope that we can see the unity and the repetition and the way Paul continues to draw out uh, what we believe as Christians, how we ought to live as Christians, and how we continue to need to hear the same things over and over again. And so as we consider this idea of finding our righteousness in Christ, considering everything a loss, I just want to read for us some lyrics by Isaac Watts. This is a hymn, and I think it captures really simply and beautifully uh, a lot of the thematic notes we're going to see in today's text and sermon. And so look with me as I read. Here it is. No more, my God, I boast no more of all the duties I have done. I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of thy son. Now for the loss I bear his name. What was my gain I count my loss. My former pride I call my shame and nail my glory to his cross. Yes, and I must, I will esteem all things but loss for Jesus' sake. Oh, may my soul be found in him and of his righteousness partake. The best obedience of my hands dares not appear before thy throne. But faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. You know, this song, this hymn talks about how uh, we are to trust in Christ's work of salvation fully. That there is no good works, there is no religious activity that we can do to earn our salvation or to earn our righteousness or to uh, resolve the guilt and the shame of our sins. But it's wholly in Christ that we trust. It's fully in the work of Christ that we cling on to as we let go of everything else. And in Philippians 3.1, look with me here, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And I, and I love this. Paul just, he has no problem being repetitive. You know, I think a lot of us, we struggle with having to say the same things over and over again to our friends, to our children, uh, to people we talk to. Uh, but Paul here has no problem saying the truth, saying encouragement over and over again as a reminder. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is... No trouble for me, and it's safe for you. It's safe for us to be reminded once more of why we should rejoice. So as he, as he instructs the church to rejoice, as you and I hear the command once more to rejoice, we're reminded that we can rejoice because our, our, our satisfaction, our joy, and ultimately the burden of our sin has been done away with by the cross of Christ. And so in this uh, a beautiful way of receiving salvation from God through Jesus, we can rejoice. And as we look at today's text, uh, we're going to see notes for some of you guys who have been taking the CB class with us and knows a little bit about some of the theological terms. You're going to see notes of how Paul addresses our adoption as children. He's going to address our justification from sin, our sanctification and new life in Christ, and even our glorification as we are continually made perfect, but that final day made fully perfect in Christ. 
And so today the gospel message is really simple. We're rejoicing in the very simple and clear message of the gospel that says righteousness is through faith in Christ alone. Righteousness is through faith in Christ alone. And so we'll look at three points. Our confidence, our treasure, and our salvation. So we're going to continue in the text with verse 2. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul says, look out three times. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. Look out, be watchful, be on guard, be warned. Paul is addressing here the Judaizers. And these, these were people who insisted that Christians had to obey all the Old Testament ceremonial laws. That, that they had to follow a certain prescription of exactly how to worship and what to do. That, that rules of worship, the place of worship, behaviors of worship was what... What made you a child of God? What made you a, a believer? What made you a people that belong to God? Their focus, these Judaizers, were not on the mediator of worship, but the medium of worship. They didn't care so much about Christ who mediates our worship, but rather uh, the way in which we worship. What, what songs we're using, what sacrifices we're making, what are the rituals and the traditions that are being kept. Ultimately, if we're to uh, 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 distill down the message of the Judaizers, what they are claiming and what they are sharing is that we have to do X, Y, and Z to earn ABC. Their, their religion and their theology is such that they're telling people that in order to receive righteousness or forgiveness of sins, it's not about holding on to Christ as the meteor, but it's holding on to the Old Testament laws, the rules, the regulations that have been given to us in the past. And this, this runs up against directly of what Paul is sharing, because we know in Christ... There is a New Testament, a new covenant. With the coming of Christ, He dissolves those things. Because those things were supposed to guide us and point us to Christ. Those laws demanded perfect obedience, which we could never give. And thus makes us cling on to Christ all the more. And, and so Paul is saying, look out for these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh who even continue to practice circumcision in a theological way, as if to signify that you have to be uh, physically circumcised to be a child of God. And Paul's saying, look out for these ideas, these people, these types of religious uh, rules and regulations that says that you have to adhere to these certain things to be a child of God. Because Paul's saying, that is not the gospel. The gospel message is entirely different. And Paul uh, he testifies to this. Paul himself is an example of someone who knows that forgiveness of sins, that righteousness, that this genuine sense of peace with God, security of who we are, comes from Christ, his death and resurrection. So to put it simply, Paul is saying that uh, our lives and all that we do, our identity, our, our guilt and shame, our our uh, progression of, of growing and our ultimate destiny should be gospel-centered and gospel-driven. That's to say that it's, it's supposed to be driven by our faith in Christ and what He has done. 
And that's why we await for Him, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not about what we can do to earn salvation or to minimize our sin or to self-improve. And we see no to this a lot, and I've brought this up before in, in much of our pop culture. It might not be the Judaizers, but it's this understanding of self-help and self-improvement that if, if we can continue to grow in our morals and our ethics and the way we treat each other and in quality and all these things, if we can do this, then we are made more righteous. But, but it's, it's the opposite that's true. If we are truly righteous in Christ, then we do these things to live out that righteousness, that freedom in Christ. We advocate for equality. We advocate for injustice. We, we do good works because we've already been redeemed. We live a life in manner, we live a life in manner worthy of the gospel because we've already received Christ. You see, we receive the gift first and thus we can fight and strive and work out in these things. And so in verse 3, look with me again. Even though the Judaizers were advocating for circumcision, and they're saying you have to get circumcised, you have to do this, you have to have an outward appearance, a showing, a proof that you belong to God. Paul saying, no, it's not about the physical, it's not about the showing, it's not about the behavior changes, it's not about achieving and doing certain things so that we look and appear like something. He's saying that we are the circumcision. We are the truly circumcised people of God, those who are circumcised in heart, those who are circumcised spiritually, and those who worship by spirit, by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus. Those who put no confidence in the flesh. Those who put no confidence in our abilities, those who put no confidence in self-righteousness and morals that we can, uh, as if we can achieve a, a guiltless or a shameless life in our own actions. But, but Paul is saying those who truly belong to God, those who are true children of God, those who are true adopted heirs of God are those who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Those who trust in God as He dwells in us, and those who glorify the truth of Christ. Again, Paul saying it's not about the physical, it's not about the outward appearance, it's not about your ethnicity or your color, or your customs, your traditions, it's not about how exactly you worship, it's not even about liturgy, it's not about where you worship, it's not about what building or what it looks like, what the song choices you have, it's not about even the church budget, it's not about what is on the outside or the appearing of righteousness, it's about the inside and the heart that is only made righteous through Christ. It's not about what confidence and security you have in your religious activities, but it's solely on are you clinging on to and trusting in the work of Christ? Are you willing to let go of everything, any confidence you may have, anything you could try to acquire so that you can have Christ? You know, it's not simply the abandoned who are adopted but the ones who are willing to abandon everything for the sake of Christ. And you've heard this before. I don't know exactly who said it. Right? They say all you need is nothing to come to Christ. If, if Christ is what you want, if His righteousness, His love, His grace, His mercy, His joy, His sufferings, if you want to walk with Him, be like Him, 
then all you need is to let go of everything and have nothing. To come to Him empty. You know, as Paul continues in verse 4 and 6, look with me here, he draws this out. You know, and this isn't Paul necessarily bragging. This is Paul saying, you know what? If, if, if righteousness truly came from the things that were acquired, then I, I would hold on to these things. But Paul's saying it's not, and that's, that's why I'm letting go. And so he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's saying, think about it with me. I, I've had all these things. I, I have acquired, I have achieved, I have been handed down. He says he's been circumcised on the eighth day. That means he followed the law. He, he was circumcised and raised in the proper uh, way. He was the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the right ethnicity, coming from the right tribe. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. He was zealous for it. He kept it. He was more self-disciplined than probably many of us. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. He was willing to take life. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's saying that if, if these things were worth anything, if any confidence truly came from these things, my, my pedigree, my achievements, the legacy that was given to me, if, if there was any worth in, in being... Uh, righteous, if there was any, any, if these things could satisfy the guilt of sin that I have, then I would have held on to it. But he's saying, I have no confidence in the flesh because I realized all these things, as good as they may be, when it comes to my soul, when it comes to my sin, when it comes to saving, only Christ can satisfy. And so he continues and then he starts to reassess his values, right? He's saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. And then as he reassesses his values, I apologize. My sermon notes actually uh, skipped to something old. So I'm going to do something highly unprofessional and just pause for a second, go <laughs> into this. Um, yes, my hands are dry, and I need lotion. Here we go. All right, we're back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. See, no confidence in the flesh. I, I promise you this was not scripted. Uh, but no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in technology. No confidence in... I was on a roll too, man. Lord, you knew I was on a roll, and he just stopped me because maybe I was uh, feeling myself too much. And there's no confidence in the flesh. There's no confidence in ability. There's no confidence even in all the preparation, right? The Lord will give and take away as he pleases. So uh, let, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, we're on the second point. Um, right? Paul saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. And so he reassesses his, the values of the things that he holds dear. Basically, he takes a look at what he is going to treasure. So point two, if we look at verses 7 through 9, uh, this is what Paul says. And, and as you hear this, you're going to see this kind of rhythmic growing climax. He's going to say, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Next verse, indeed, I count everything a loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul saying, whatever gain I had, I'm going to let it go. It's a loss. And in fact, it's it's a loss, but but it's rubbish. It's, it's not something worth holding on to. So I'm going to let go of these things. I'm going to let go of my accomplishments. Uh, I'm going to let go of my, my, my pedigree, my legacy, all the things that I thought that could somehow give me some form of comfort or salvation in the temporary realm or even eternally. I'm going to let go of those things. Why? Because, because i rather have Jesus. Because of the surpassing worth that is greater and better of knowing who Jesus is and, and, and gaining him and being found in him. Paul is saying that all the things he used to hold dear, he's going to let it go because Christ is so much better. Right? And so we're reminded of, of some, some of the other stories and, and the context that happened in the Bible. Right? We, we remember the person that Jesus talked about. He said the kingdom of God is like someone who found treasure in a field and having uh, found it with so much joy, he covered it up. He went and he sold everything. So that he can have this treasure. He was willing to let go of everything. Everything was, was rubbish for him. It, it meant nothing. He let it go because he wanted to have this treasure. He wanted to have Christ. He wanted to be found in him. And this is all he cared about. And at the same time we, call, we recall the young rich man who came to Christ. And he says, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. And The young rich ruler couldn't do that and he walked away sad. When the young rich ruler assessed all the things that he had of value, he couldn't see that it was less valuable than Christ. And he couldn't sell it off. It wasn't worth trading all those things in to have Christ and he walked away sad. What Paul is saying is that Christ is so much more worthy, so much more of value, so much more beautiful than anything we can have. You know, some of the other translations, uh, they even translate the word rubbish into to dung. I've even heard it interpreted as uh, menstrual garments. And, and people have gone to the extent to try to capture the worthlessness of the things we often try to hold dear. But, but if I can put it simply, what Paul is saying is that compared to knowing Jesus Christ and having Him as our Savior, everything else is just BS. It's nonsense. It's nothing. It's empty. Because as awesome and cool and beautiful and valuable and pleasure-giving these things might be, When it comes to our soul, our sin, and salvation, it's bankrupt. It can't give us an ounce of lasting eternal joy. It can't give us an ounce of saving grace, but Christ can. And so so let's reassess our values today. You know, I want us to think about this, and and, and I'm thinking about this too. You know, we're willing to take out loans for schooling for college, for grad school, for continuing programs. We're willing to take out mortgages for our homes. We're, t- we're willing to take out uh, loans for our cars. And, and we do this because we see value in these things. And we're, we're willing to take on an enormous amount of debt because we think, and the hope is that th- it'll be worth it. And, and, I just, and I found myself asking because as I assessed like my assets, my loans, my debt, you know, I, 
the, the things I was willing to give up or take on to have these things, I asked myself, is Christ more valuable than these things? Is He worth being eternally and wholly indebted to Him? And brothers and sisters, is, is your soul, is your salvation that valuable to you? Is your eternity more valuable than your temporal? You know, I looked at some of the, the assets that I have, my children, my future, and all its romanticized possibilities. And I asked myself, I asked this heart that I know is so prone to wander and is so satisfied with cheap things. I said, Walt, do you love Christ more than these things? Do you want Him more than these things? And... I'll be honest with you, I found a lot of idols in my heart. I found a lot of things that I need to repent for and continue to uh, tease out. And, and I also realized as I asked my heart these things, do I love Christ more than, more than these things? Um, as I realized the answer was, no, not really, God. As I realized it, it was hard for me to let go of these things, to have Christ holy, I also realized why I'm so anxious. I also realized why I'm so full of complaining because I think the reality is I know that these things are empty. I know that these things aren't going to truly satisfy. I know that these things can't give me an ounce of salvation eternally, yet I'm still working so hard for it. And so it makes sense why I'm anxious and I'm I'm complaining and grumbling when I see those things being threatened. And, And I realized like, man, I've set my hope on, on things that are so temporal. I've, I've set my salvation on temporal things, temporal pleasures and comforts. And yeah, these things I've justified with the notion of I'll use it for God's glory. And I realized I was just glorifying myself, my comforts, my security, my pleasures, and my self-righteousness. You know, John Calvin uh, says this. says, The human heart has so many crannies. Where vanity hides so many holes where falsehood uh, lurks it's so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself and this is what jeremiah says right the heart is deceitful above all things who can discern it besides the lord and so as we're challenged uh right now in this uh, particular part of the sermon as 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 you reassess your values and the things you hold dear uh, compared to the worth of christ could, could I could I ask you to really consider what are some of the areas that, that the Lord is showing you now that you value more than Christ? What are some of the areas that you are seeking out salvation and righteousness uh, and, and status uh, that, that, that's other than the gospel? And, and I think if we confess, uh, it's amazing what we put our Lord Jesus through so that we can gain something for ourselves. The the subtlety, the pervasiveness of our heart's desire is at the same time so obvious and ugly yet tangled up in, in our efforts of good religion. And instead of becoming a slave of Christ, we, we often try to make Christ our slave. And so brothers and sisters, I wonder what is the Spirit of God uh, revealing in your hearts today through the truth of Christ? What is your treasure? Uh, are we seeking comfort in the temporary or salvation for the eternal? Is our ultimate concern our status in this world or our status with our Creator? 
you know, you can ignore your sins if salvation is just a temporal thing. If salvation means uh, being saved from the hardships of this world, then you don't have to think about your sins. But if salvation means uh, having eternal peace and rest and joy all for all eternity with, with the one who made us and loved us, then we have to take a look at our sin. Then we have to think about what what can we do about this sin that allows us to enjoy that kind of salvation? And so then our last point, as we look at our salvation, as Paul goes into verse 9, 10, and 11, uh, he addresses uh, our sin. He addresses it in, in such a um, broad and, and pinpointed way. In verse 9, he says this. He says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, uh, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul here is talking about our sin in the ter- in terms of justification. You know, our sin as it leads to guilt and shame and separation from God. And he's saying that our sin, right, this, the resolution of righteousness doesn't come from us simply obeying and following rules or or doing things and self improving. But it comes from having faith in Christ's cross, his life, his death, his resurrection. And this righteousness from our sin, this justification comes from God. And it depends on faith, not works. Faith leads to works, but it depends on faith in the work that Christ has already done. And Colossians 2.14 talks about it. I don't have it up, but listen with me. It says that, that by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, God, he set it aside and nailed it to the cross. That means whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever guilt you have that keeps you from coming to the Lord, that keeps you from enjoying community with one another, that sin, God took it, he set it aside, and he nailed it on the cross of Christ so that you would be justified as you have faith in that work for you. That you would no longer have to be enslaved to the guilt and the shame of your sin. Paul says this is only done by having faith in that work. Faith in that God indeed set your sin aside and nailed it to the cross. Doesn't that lead us to repentance? Doesn't that want us to to really uh, repent of our sin? And in verse 10, he continues to go on, right? He doesn't just address our, 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 our shame and our guilt, but he addresses also how we are daily living our lives. In other words, you can call it about our sanctification, our daily progress. Not simply in keeping up better religious activities, but in our progress of becoming more and more like Jesus. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, he counts all these things as lost, right? This rubbish. He lets it go because having Christ is better. Right? And he does this so that he may know him, so that he may have fellowship and communion with Jesus, and that the power of his resurrection, he would know the power of his resurrection, and that he would share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that as we trust in Christ through faith, not only is our guilt and shame dealt with, but the, the, the progression of us stumbling and falling is also addressed. That even though we stumble and fall, 
that we will follow after Christ, that we will share in His suffering, and that we will come to know the power of His resurrection, that we will become made more like Him each and every step that we take as we follow after Him, that we'll become like Him in His death, and we'll become like Him also in his resurrection. And look and, and, and look at verse 10 real quick here. I just want to make a note about this idea of sanctification. Because when we talk about sanctification, a lot of times our focus is how do I grow? What do I have to do? What does it mean for me to look more like Christ? What is what what should I do? Who can help me? Right? But but look at the the, the word here. When, when when talking about this idea of progression and growing being sanctified Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering and become like him in his death so the focus when when we're talking about sanctification the focus is not me but the focus is how can I become more like Jesus how can I follow after him how can I know him Know his resurrection, know his suffering, and know his death. You know, how, how is it possible that we can even be sanctified and be made more like Jesus? How is it possible that our, our, our mortalness, our sinfulness could even dare to become like the Son of God? Well, if you remember in Philippians 2, this is what we're told. I mean, that Jesus Christ, even though He was in the very form of God, He didn't count that equality with God a thing to be selfishly gained or grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let me... Let me let me tell it to you uh, through the words of someone a lot more brilliant. This is what uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer said. Look at this quote with me. He said that it is only because he became like us that we can become like him. And what, what he's saying is sanctification and becoming more like Jesus is possible because he was first humble enough to let go of all that he held dear so that he in humility can ransom us. We can become more like Jesus because Jesus first lovingly became like us. We can go to him because he came to us. And lastly, verse 11, Paul considers everything rubbish and he lets it go. And he will continue to let things go that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is seeking Christ's glory. He is seeking to be glorified in such a way where he will be fully made like Christ, perfect and sinless. And Paul talks about this uh, later, and we'll get to this in the coming weeks. He says that from heaven we await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We will be made fully like him. We will be glorified like him. And so when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our sin, when it comes to righteousness before God, we have to understand that all these things, our justification from sin, our sanctification to new life in Christ, and even our ultimate glorification, all this 
comes from Christ. And even our adoption to be children of God comes from Christ. This is where Sinclair Ferguson says, he says, when we see salvation whole, it's every single part is found in Christ. We must beware lest we derive the smallest drop from somewhere else. And so, so Paul, when, he, when he's trying to explain to the church and, when, and God's word today, as, as it's telling us that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus, even though that reality of that gospel is so simple, it, 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 it addresses everything. It addresses our identity as children of God. It addresses our guilt and shame as justified people of God. It addresses our life and our daily living as we're sanctified to be more like Christ. And it ultimately addresses the end of our lives as we enter into eternity, sinless, to be fully with Christ. Brothers and sisters, uh, let us be reminded today because uh, we are called to rejoice in the Lord and to say the same thing is no trouble for me and is safe for all of us as we're instructed by God's word. Righteousness comes from faith in the work that Christ has done for you and I. And so if you are struggling and fighting and trying to um, get back to God, if you, if, you, if you are in a spiritual dry season or you feel far and, you, and, and you're just trying to pick up your Bible and, and do all these things to try to get to God, realize that Christ has already come to you. Realize that God has already drawn near to you. And start with the reality of knowing that Christ first extends His love before you even dare try to approach Him with any good works or any eloquence or any confidence in your flesh or your ability that in your brokenness, Christ comes to you because righteousness is given to us by Him. And also, as a final challenge, whatever you hold dear, whatever is so hard for you to uh, let go, uh, can I encourage you to spend some time in prayer to really consider the true value and, and worth of those things when compared to Christ. 